Dear listeners, and welcome to Talk Cycles, a monthly meander through contemporary animation. I'm one of your hosts, Jane. I'm your other host, Nero. And uh, welcome to this brand new addition to Crystal Radio Works. We're real excited to get into this one. So, if you have heard our announcements, you probably know what the format of this show is. But in case you didn't, and you're a new listener, let us explain. Talk Cycles is a show where every month, Jane and I watch a, a, a season, a chunk, of a show of a certain type. Yes, a very specific type, a what you might call a serialized or semi-serialized narrative, which is to say a show that has a bit of an overarching plot and a series of uh, you know, themes, there's a lot to dig into, you know, something we can really sink our teeth into and, and analyze. Of course, our previous project, uh, one of our previous projects was the Podcast of Power, which is a podcast all about the 2018 Netflix she And so we figured for this show, we would stick to things that, that resemble it or inspired it or uh, evolved from it, you know? Exactly, exactly. It's contemporaries, if you will. And we've talked about those a few times in the past, especially during the podcast of power. We've talked about certain contemporaries like Avatar The Last Airbender. We've talked about Steven Universe. We've talked about other various shows that have contributed in some way to the environment that She-Ra and the Princesses of Power sort of evolved in. And we want to go back and take a look at some of these shows uh, that are these contemporaries, uh, things that came before, during, and since, and uh, things that generally give that that same sort of feeling. And uh, what better place to start than the continuation of a show that uh, we really quite enjoyed the first season of, Infinity Train. That's right. So... If you uh, were a, a, a lucky patron of our podcast of Paradise, you know that Infinity Train was one of the shows we covered uh, for our Patreon show there. Um, and you may also know from the news that uh, you can't really watch it anywhere anymore. Yeah, because the animation industry is horrible everywhere in the whole world. It's very upsetting. Um but that's okay because the creators of Infinity Train have told everybody, please pirate our show because we don't want it to be lost forever thanks to, you know, the way the world is bad. So Infinity Train Book 1 
to briefly talk about it because you know some people might not know our thoughts on it it was a it was a really really compelling very strange show that i think did its emotional arc really well i liked all of the principal characters it had a neat mystery and very a very imaginative setting one of one of the coolest settings i have seen in quite a long time exactly it's it's a really really interesting setting it's uh it's got like it deals with its subject matter so it, it it touches on a lot of heavier subject matter than a lot of cartoons in a similar vein would and it also handles it i think just leagues better than a lot of its contemporaries would it, it, it's it's not afraid to really get in the weeds and uh and i think that works tremendously to its advantage both um in terms of its like effectiveness as a narrative but also on an internal scale because the thing about the infinity train is that it is a construct that exists solely to take people turn them into passengers and tell them that you need to fix your life and then you get to leave it's 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 a benevolent kidnapping in a way uh so the first season you know it's about tulip uh, a young girl who is going through a rough time in her life. Her parents are divorcing, and it's, you know, messy in lots of ways. Uh, and she's having a lot of trouble dealing with that, and, and so there's, you know, there's a lot of emotional turmoil there, and all of that is done very well in the first season. And importantly, uh, there's an episode in that first season where she goes into this mirror car and her reflection comes to life. And, you know, it was a very, very interesting episode full of a lot of uh, question, you know, existential questions and, and, and questions of identity and individualism. And it was, it was really neat. And the writers of this show also thought that as well because they said, well, Infinity Train is an anthology series. What if we just followed that reflection for the whole second season? And so we come to this Infinity Train book two, where we're following MT, uh, which uh, stands for Mirror Tulip. So, Infinity Train book two. Um, obviously, we're not going to go as we, uh, you know, our format is different for this show. We aren't watching episode by episode. We watched the whole thing. We are fresh off of watching the whole thing, in fact. Yeah. And so we will not necessarily be going chronologically. We will not necessarily be going, you know, recapping the whole thing. We're going to be talking about it as a holistic season of television. And I must say, it was really, really, really good. Yeah, it's something you added right at the end there was actually that uh, that you felt like this is a very rare show that actually improved in its second season as opposed to its first i think with a show like infinity train one might think that it has it has a risk of becoming stale right we know what the train does now we know what the purpose of the train is we know who the conductor is all of these things are known after season one and you would be incorrect because actually we don't know any of that really and also there are many, many, many conflicts that can take place within this train, not just the simple sort of 
mathematical improvement of one's character. No, we there's a lot of things and ideas you can explore in this setting. There are. And the thing the thing about this setting that I, I feel is is so interesting and works so well in its favor is the fact that you can explore different angles of of this train of the way that it functions like with with tulip season we got this really interesting look into just sort of the basic experience from the perspective of a passenger but because of how mt works she she's a denizen of the train she's not actually a human she's not a passenger she didn't have a number she didn't have any of this stuff and this leads to a completely different viewpoint for how the train functions. We get to actually see a lot more of its inner workings than we would have had the opportunity to uh, with Tulip Season. So I want to start by talking about our principal cast of characters here, right? Because it's almost an entirely new cast. There's some characters that do recur, but uh, for the second season here, we're following three characters pretty much. One of them is, of course, as we've talked about, MT, uh, with Ashley Johnson returning to voice her. Uh, obviously, different character, but, you know, she's Tulip's reflection, so they sound the same. Then we have Robbie Damon as her passenger, Jesse Cosay. Um, now, Robbie Damon, I looked him up. He's all over anime. You've heard him in, like, any given anime dub or video game that you've played in the uh, the last few years. For me, the role that leapt out at me was Hubert from Fire Emblem Three Houses, one of my favorite characters. But a lot of you probably recently heard him as Chai in Hi-Fi Rush, the, uh, the, the new Tango Gameworks thing. He is the main character of that extremely stylish rhythm action beat-em-up thing. They do they do a fantastic job. And then of course we have a we have a third we have a third person. Oh right. Um the third the third protagonist um is a deer named Alan Dracula. We'll explain that in a minute. Um and he how how does one explain Alan Dracula? He's a deer with fucked up powers. He he's a deer that can do anything. Yes, and I do mean that quite literally. He he's got like, so you know you you've probably watched Adventure Time. You know how Jake the dog sort of functions. Well, imagine if Jake the dog just didn't really have any limitations on when he decided to be weird. Alan Dracula. One of one of the things that struck me so much about this season, as because like obviously the first season, lots of crazy stuff going on, lots of really cool animation bits. Alan Dracula exists almost solely so the animators can just go hog wild at any given moment. Yeah, just do gags, really funny gags. By the way, this deer is a fucking all star gag character. He. The way he moves, the way he, he he literally do anything the scene calls for. It's like, but he's also just a deer, so he t- he acts like a normal deer pretty much. Um, but he does have the ability to like 
change his size and turn into plasma and like split into eight different distinct bits or turn into a spider or become pillows or become a fucking ball and paddle game or shoot lasers out of his eyes or become really tiny uh or, or go completely limp and by limp what i mean is he turns into a tiny statue it's just like anything uh, he can explode turns into a bomb it just it, it's all fine he can turn into a gas he can enter a gaseous form i so often i was just losing it at this fucking deer he is so funny and he is such an amazing addition to the season he's he's incredible yeah and like i don't know i, I suppose we can probably start with jesse right because we we've we've kind of talked about our mt i want to talk about jesse because he's a really interesting character jesse is is very interesting so so jesse's deal is so he he, he shows up uh not not very long after alan dracula is actually introduced now of course when MT is talking to uh, Alan Dracula when she's first meeting him and everything, she doesn't name him that. She doesn't give him a name at all. Now, of course, she's not really one for names. She doesn't like thinking about names. She doesn't like naming things. She feels like she, you know... She she doesn't want to mess with that. But Jesse Jesse sort of immediately, uh, once once he stumbles upon Alan Dracula, takes it upon himself, of course, to give this deer the coolest name he can think of. Which is Dracula. Uh there's a there's a thing. I this is a this is such a the the writers of the show are so good at crafting these complete weirdos that are so likable because one of one of Jesse's things is that he just names everything Dracula. Yeah, like in his phone, like he, he's got his phone with him still and he just scrolls through and it's just pictures of a billion different little animals, all of which he's named Dracula. And at the end of the season, he suggests Dracula 2 as MT's new name. So like, he likes Dracula. This is never explained. And you know what? Good. I think that's way funnier that it's just never elaborated on or explained. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so Jesse Jesse's an interesting character. He's he's a good boy. He's like a capital G good boy, but but also not really. He he sits in this odd place where he is both a doormat and also like very malleable he he's like water in a lot of ways he sort of fills any container that you put him in uh if you put him in a group of cool jock teens who are just kind of assholes then he will fill that mold and become just another one of the assholes if you put him in a situation where he needs to be nice to people then he'll be nice and he has a good heart he wants to be nice but he's just not the kind of guy who really thinks for himself very often. He He's very reliant on people telling him what to do. And that's the core of the reason why he's here on the train. So we, we see later in, uh, he's watching a video on his phone, the reason why he's here is because he's in with a crowd of bullies. Because as we say, he's a little bit, he's a bit of a pushover. He doesn't like to upset people, to disagree with people. And so he just kind of lets his his quote-unquote friends do whatever. And in this case, it's it's playing a very, a very cruel prank on his little brother Nate. 
uh, they like roll him down a hill on like a fucking guitar amplifier or whatever, and he ends up breaking his arm. And like, you know, all of, all of the other all these other jackass kids are laughing at him, and 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 Jesse is as well, just going along with it. And he regrets not talking to Nate about it and apologizing before he gets taken onto the train. And I think Jesse is like. I mean, first of all, I think he's older than Tulip was supposed to be. Jesse is definitely in high school. He's wearing a Letterman jacket. He looks older. He acts older. And, like, as far as the human side of, of this of this Infinity Train season goes, right, of, like, this is the problem that he is trying to overcome. It's a really good one, and I think it's done really well. I think so, too, because this... I, I love the way that they deal with these sort of human problems. I loved Tulip's arc in in the first book where she was dealing with trying to like be less selfish and you you have sort of in a lot of ways the inverse of this here where Jesse is too selfless and selfless isn't even necessarily the right word he, he he's just kind of not pragmatic in any way he's 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 a complete willow in the wind and what i love about the way his arc resolves is you have um at first you have mt who is like basically backseat gaming him the whole time like telling oh yeah so just do this and do this you know i'm basically an expert how this train works you know you listen are you learning a lesson over there are you learning make sure you make sure you pay attention so you can learn the lesson better and every single time that she's doing this it's actually driving his number up um and it it takes them actually working together as a team it takes jesse actually taking some charge and making decisions before that number ever starts to go down and it's not something they pick up on immediately as a team but over time the fact that they just keep getting a little bit closer and and they start opening up to each other a little bit more and jesse like actually manages to start thinking for himself and making his own decisions that's that's really compelling and i think it gets the most compelling when we get to the back half of the episodes with the introduction of a character named grace yes so one thing i we we liked about infinity train season one is the kind of frustration it had with its own premise right like the train's purpose is clear but tulip was often so fucking exasperated with the train and like learning lessons and and she went through it she went through the arc but she wasn't happy about it no i mean the train it feels very condescending to be kidnapped and then have your exit dangled in front of you like a pair of shiny keys like, ooh, I bet you want to leave, huh? Well, I guess you gotta learn those lessons there, kiddo. Like, very, very condescending, very demeaning. It, it feels like, from the perspective of like, oh, this is a show, this is a narrative, that's one thing. But from the perspective of the character... This is, like, this is unbelievably cruel and fucking, like, sardonic. Like, this is this is horrible to do to a person. And so, what if 
hypothetically, instead of taking this graciously and actually learning and growing as a person, as Tulip did, what if that got you? What if that sense of just fuck all this shit kind of consumed you? And instead of trying to escape, you just said, this train is crazy. It's got so much awesome stuff on here. Fuck this. I am not going anywhere. In fact, I am going to do everything in my power to extend my number, to rack up my number so that I never, ever leave. Well, that's Grace. That's Grace. Grace Grace is a very interesting character. So she's... She runs basically a, like, gang of these of these passengers, mostly kids and teens, who all, who've taken over the mall car, you know, naturally. And they all sort of follow a very specific set of beliefs. They believe themselves, they call themselves the Apex. Um, and the Apex believe in extending their stay on the train, but more importantly than that, and this is, of course, what extends their stay on the train the most out of everything, is they believe that the passengers are the only real people here. Everybody else is a null. Everyone else is less than zero. In fact, none of them are people. They don't care who they hurt or what they destroy because for them, this is like a video game. It doesn't matter. None of this is real. Yeah, so the Apex sort of like... It, it, they do treat the train as their own personal playground, their own personal video game, where the train only exists to serve them, pretty much, to entertain them. Um, not even, like, provide their needs, just to, like, be a fun place to fucking hang out and break shit. And, and so, yeah, you have Grace, and you also have Simon, who's, like, the co-leader of this weird little commune of brats. And both of them have reached this point of just like, well, nothing on this train is actually real or living. Uh, all of it exists to serve us anyway, so why not take that to its logical conclusion and just fuck around and just take whatever we want and, and, and break whatever we want and, and, and like, destroy the rules. Like, why does it matter? None of this matters. We've given up on getting off the train. There's no point in getting off the train. Why would we want to get off the train? It's all very, like, nihilistic almost. It's extremely nihilistic and, additionally, there's another wrinkle here because they worship almost the conductor from season one. Amelia. Yes, Amelia. They they worship Amelia's conductor, not one one. In fact, they they see one one as an usurper, somebody who took over and started changing things, making them different. You know, trying to get everyone to leave the train, trying to get everybody to to escape. They see that as someone else coming in and interfering, trying to ruin things. You know, when Jesse finally gets his door and gets to leave, she is upset by this, and not mad upset, she mourns him. She she turns to Simon, who is complaining and says, hey, show some respect, we just lost another human. She feels like he's just gone, and... You know, for 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 this belief system, that's that's like that's that's quite heavy. It's it make it makes you wonder, like, what do they actually think is going on here? And it's not a thing we get 
a very concrete answer for. No, because they didn't get an answer. The Amelia was very hands-off, did not care to walk people through the process of the Infinity Train, right? The Conductor was this shady figure who, who never really appeared to anyone. One one is the exact opposite. One one literally plays you a video where he explains how the infinity train works and what it is and what you're supposed to do. Tulip had to figure that out on her own in season one, and presumably all of these other people did too. And so as a result of this, there's almost this, and this is a familiar thing, right? This, this feeling of bitterness of like, I suffered. So why shouldn't these other people also suffer? Huh? Why is it fair? This is this is an impulse that appears all over the place. It, especially, it's especially prevalent right now with like conversations around student loan forgiveness. Like, well, I paid all my student loans, so why should why should you get all of yours forgiven? Go fuck yourself. Exactly. It's a, it's a very like you know it's it's this like struggle fallacy nonsense where it's just like you have you have to suffer too otherwise what was the point of me suffering what was if you get to go through and not suffer then that means that all of my suffering was pointless and there had to have been a point it was too cruel for there not to have been a point and yet reality is unfortunately a little bit like that isn't it and so the answer for the for apex is to simply say well fuck you got mine the everything on the train is ours fuck all these nulls like fuck any passenger who like leaves like they're they're wrong they're sad it's it's really sad when they go and their introduction is is i think the big thematic turn for this season because all right in season one Infinity Train said, we're going to make a show about, like, the, the the trauma of divorce and this this time in your life where your emotions are extremely unstable and they're settling, which is a really good thing to make a television show for kids about. Season 2 said, what if we made a children's cartoon that's centered entirely around the existential dread of, like, identity? Exactly. And I think that it does a phenomenal job with it. It's it's like Jesse, I feel like, struggles with his own identity, um, but MT, of course, is the real is the real focus as far as identity is concerned. Yeah, I wanna I wanna talk about MT. I wanna I wanna get, devote a lot of time to MT because we've talked a lot about other bits here, but MT is the star of the show. MT is, in my opinion, just a complete triumph of like all, all all corners of of the of the process writing voice acting design animation all of it is firing on all cylinders to create this very well formed character um and i think immediately like instantly immediately one of the things that struck me about this season of infinity train is there is no there is no setup there is no easing you in there is no like here's what we're doing you start with mt giving herself a complete makeover, shaving off all of her hair, uh, getting new clothes, and, and like, a completely new look. Like, separating herself even further from Tulip than she already had at the end of uh, her episode in season one, right? Exactly, exactly. She's She has completely revamped her entire steez here, and she she wants to forge herself her own path. She wants to make 
her own person out of what she's been given here. And I think, you know, I think we shouldn't beat around the bush here. Yeah, I think yeah, we yeah, yeah. Yeah, should yeah, yeah. start calling her by her real name because she does pick a name. She picks a name eventually here. And she picks Lake, which I think is very interesting. Lake. Um, so I think with every everything, right? With all of all of the, the elements of, of MT's design, uh just sort of coalesce into a big flashing neon sign that is screaming at you uh, at, at every possible angle that says, this character is trans. Yeah, big time. Do you yeah, get do it? Do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> is, do you get is it? Is it obvious yet? Do we need to be- build a big flashing sign? Do we need to fucking sky write it out for you? So, like, to describe MT's look briefly, if you have it, first of all, if you haven't seen this season of Infinity Train, just go watch it wherever you can, wherever you can find it. It's fucking incredible. But MT is wearing, first of all, shaved head, completely shaved head, pierced ears, baggy, ratty, like, t-shirt with the sleeves torn off, black jeans, and Tim's is the look. And it's a good look. Lake's really rocking it, let me tell you. And Lake has uh, has this look, and it's a powerful look. And so uh, the, the sort of introduction to this, right, is, is Lake fleeing through multiple cars being chased by the mirror cops from uh, season one. We've seen these guys before. These two specific guys, in fact, uh, Agent Sieve and agent uh mace sieve is the quote-unquote good cop though as we'll see later um no uh and and well there are no good cops nero exactly and that's that's what this show says uh and agent mace is the you know the classic bad cop he's growly he's aggressive he's british uh or he okay he's actually australian excuse me but yeah lake i mean it's, it's some stuff it's some serious stuff this design Yes, it's it's a really beautiful transformation that that she goes under here. She like it's it's so on the nose, but in such a like such a refreshing way. Like oh my god, like it's like taking a cold shower. It's so nice. You, do you know how few characters I have ever seen who've just been like, yeah, I'm gonna so I'm just gonna totally redo my whole look. I'm shaving my head. I'm you know piercing me like like the whole the whole thing just it's it's so rare it's so rare to actually see somebody get to do that and and it's really brilliant i think i'll i'll simply say that lake has nb butch swag because here's the thing here's the thing the way lake names herself is exactly how almost like what's what's the classic non-binary person joke right they're all named socks. <laughs> you just look. You just look at a thing, and you decide this is who I am now. That's what literally what happens. God, it. I mean, listen. It's all there. It's all there. It's. It really is all there, and I and I love it. It's. It's fucking brilliant. Like it's. It's such a good. Ooh, let me. Let me tell you. It's it's a little on the nose it's a little i'm not gonna lie it's a little hard to watch the whole like this girl is just trying to you know li- live 
and you get these two these two fucking horrible feds who are just like we're going to fucking kill you for being a criminal you've broken the law and it's like the only law she's broken is that she exists it's a it's i'll tell you that gets a little that gets to me a little bit perhaps a bit more prescient than they wanted back in 2019 or whenever they made this yeah but yeah, so so Lake is fleeing from these these mirror. I like I like that she has a she has an anti cop slur of her own. She calls them flex. It's awesome. Flex is such a funny way to describe these dudes. And I think it's important to talk about these these two for a moment because I think they're interesting characters, especially Mace, as we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, it's important that these two are never ever once given any like shred of sympathy, really. Or, like, any sort of ounce of, well, maybe they have a point. There's nothing. There's no... Yeah, not nothing. They're completely fucking irredeemable. They are... They are total... They are, they are fascists. They are... They are... The, they, they believe in the balance of order of Mirror World. And that if you... There are two ways that a reflection can go, right? If your prime dies or leaves the train. Number one you submit to being basically memory wiped and reset to become someone's someone else's reflection or number two uh you retain those memories and you basically get put into service as one of these mirror cops yeah you either become a fucking cop or you get wiped and it's like it's pretty rough it's a pretty rough existence for these for these folks the only freedom you can get is by becoming a cog of the system itself by by joining in and perpetuating the violence. Damn. Perpetuating the violence is the only way to escape it. Perhaps, ooh, you know, maybe maybe that's maybe that's like in reference to to some to how shit works in in the real world. It's this season uh, th- this season of television has probably the the most well-realized like commentary i've seen in this sort of kids tv show right where it is like it is on the nose enough that obviously you're going to be able to recognize it for a mile away like the the target audience will get it but also it's it's like there is a, there is nuance to it and there is a lot of thought put into this and it's a very smart way of constructing this character and this setting uh i mean i can't say what i think personally should happen to david Sazlov um on this radio program but i i I just you know i just hope he has a nice time that's what (laughs) i hope he has a nice time for what he did to uh to infinity train yeah yeah like oh man this is the show so good like the thing about them too right is like lake even calls them out on their fucking cowardice I love the scene where Lake screams at at Mace that he's a fucking coward for taking this path is it's, so oh, good. It's fucking amazing. See, I want. I just want to talk about the uh, what is that episode seven? I think is is the wasteland. I believe. Yeah, I believe episode. I believe episode seven or eight is 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 the wasteland, and the wasteland is. Uh, insane episode of television. Like, oh it's my like, god! Look, I, there's, look, yeah, it's it was it it was a revelation. Um, so obviously there's a lot of stuff we could talk about with like the pre- there's a there's so much good stuff in the earlier episodes. Uh, Wayne Knight appears as like a 
as like a fucking wind god on an old timey map who doesn't want to get like even further um the joke with that one is that you have this change of art style from this old timey map to an impressionist painting and so the personification of wind is no longer needed and so he just becomes the wind um but yeah and then there's uh mst3k's own bill corbett as a parasite who is also also ties into these themes of existentialism right of like he just wants to he just wants to hang out and live and alan dracula's body is rejecting him even you know it's it's damn it's like it's a well-constructed season of television yeah, and the, and the Parasite also, I, I find very interesting because it's also, from Alan Dracula's end of things, is also, like, very much an identity thing because his identity is being suppressed. He doesn't want to do all of the things that he's being forced to do. He is simply forced to take a back seat. And I just want to say, Bill Corbett is so good as this fucking vaudeville-ass Parasite. It's it's amazing. Um Kate Mulgrew returns as the cat briefly, doing what she was always meant to do, uh, which is being a carnival huckster, obviously. I feel like the cat has that has that vibe. Um, but yeah, I want to... The Wasteland. We need to talk about the Wasteland, because the Wasteland is where everything gets crystallized. Yeah, the Wasteland is where everything really starts uh, to kick off. And specifically, what, what ends up happening is this is, this is basically immediately after uh, Jesse completes his journey he he has he has reduced his number to zero he gets his exit door he's leaving he wants to take lake with him and she can't go because she doesn't have a number she's not allowed to leave so he gets you know sucked through the fucking wormhole door and she is left behind um meanwhile the flex are after her because of course grace uh sicked them on her in order to try and you know prevent jesse from leaving and they're they're hot on her trail she is barely able to get away from them and she ends up even getting handcuffed to mace but uh unluckily for him they're on top of the train and if you remember from season one the train cars uh ride on top of each other and uh and he gets um he gets cut in half the bad way he gets bisected but it's fine because he's a he's a reflection so he's not dead instantly he's just dying so lake alan dracula and mace have all been tossed off the train and they are in this like endless blasted hellscape that the infinity train circles i still need to know more about this yeah this is i want to know why why is why does the world look like this now in in wherever we are why why is this the where case? where are we yeah where and are we regardless we will never know this information and i'm fine with that but also i do want to know um so we have this thing where 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 lake attempts to just start walking away from the train but eventually gets pulled back because she is a being of the train it will not relinquish its grip on her and we have there's uh there's a thing where the you know the horrible fucked up nightmarish cockroach hounds appear again because of course they do and there's there's a lot of like genuinely very eerie and scary imagery we'll get to later in the season there's some there's some shit where i think 
if, well, I don't know, if like a 10-year-old or something watched it, they would either think it's the coolest shit in the world or they would think it's the coolest shit in the world and also they would stay up all night staring at the ceiling. Yeah, this 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 has got some imagery in it for sure. So Alan Dracula kind of makes a big antler ball to shield them from the cockroach hounds. And this is where Lake has been arguing with Mace this entire time. And he is, he's Mace has just been saying, like, you can't leave. You're just another fucking cog in the machine. Like... Did you think that you were allowed your own journey, that you were allowed your own life? No, you're just here to help the passengers. You're just here to be an accessory to someone else's story. And once they're trapped in this in this sphere, he he just truly tears into her viciously. Did you did you really think that that boy was your friend? Did you think that that he liked you? You made a good companion. You helped him along his journey. You helped him learn lessons. Oh, look at you learning lessons. As if that matters. All you are is a reflection of this boy you're not real you can't have your own path and it just drives her crazy it's truly brutal honestly she is crying she's just yelling at him to stop to shut up and i just have to shout out ben mendelson as mace what a what a fucking guy this guy obviously plays a lot of villains i looked at his imdb it's got a very he's got a very good villain voice i'll give him that yeah he plays orson krennic in rogue one i think most most recently is, is his biggest one but he's, he's been a lot of villains in a lot of different places and this perform like the fucking venom and just the he is ruthlessly mocking this girl it is cruel it is excessively cruel which is why when lake murders him on screen it's fine yeah so oh boy that's a big moment the fucking murder like mace has been tethered to lake this entire time he's been handcuffed to her much like a very unwieldy briefcase and as she tries to get back on the train, she she resolves during this conversation where he just fucking leans into her. She says, no, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go back in the train. I'm going to get a number, and then I'm going to get a door and get the fuck out of here because I am a person and I deserve to live. And he's like, oh, no, you're not. I don't care. I'm already dying, and you're going down with me, and there's nothing you can do about it. And she says, and she's just like, you want to bet? And fucking tosses his body into the wheel of the train. And Does not toss it. No, important. Does not toss his body into the train. What she does is repels down pushes his body into the wheel and holds him there as it grinds him into nothing and blood, you know, liquid metal just starts seeping out of his eyes and mouth as he's screaming. And then it splatters on her cheeks as she stares fucking unrepentant and unremorseful at the screaming dying man under her hands. And, you know, you see that this is not... She yeah she she is stone faced here. Once she climbs up on the top of the train, she has a moment where she just kind of, you know, breaks down over the murder she just committed. It's like that's not a thing you do every day. No, see, she's like a normal person, so just like committing murder is kind of a big deal. Okay, so here's the thing: because they are like metallic people, they could get away with this. This is this is gruesome. This is like 
this is some I don't really understand how they were allowed to do this. I don't know how they got away. Like it must have been like they just sat, they like convinced somehow like oh well, it's not real blood they're just like robots or something and i guess somebody in the executive board fucking bought it because like hot damn the scene is more brutal than a lot of like death scenes you get in prestige television i think if the if you want the comparison and i think that there are several that outclass this one i would think that actually the comparison point is Game of Thrones and uh-huh. on HBO because they can get real wet and wild with it. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, she's grinding him into nothing on a gigantic train wheel as he's screaming the whole time. It's it's fairly and it's like, and, and I don't want to be one of those who is like, oh, yeah, this fucking kid show so fucked up. That's why it's good. I'm just look, I think the main character murdering her oppressor and then being able to have her happy ending is simply a good thing. Personally, I think it's great. And you know, it's, it's, Ooh, it's, it's a very, it's a very cathartic scene. I'll say that. Yeah. So, but this, this whole thing of, of like this question of her existence, this like horrible feeling of like you, are nothing like you are null you are nothing just like the apex think you are you are just here to serve the people only gets exacerbated in the frankly troubling uh episode nine uh the tape car so we finally kind of see the the induction process for the infinity train in much more detail um we never really saw it we've seen the we've seen them in these pods before right but we've never really seen kind of the full process well now we know what the full process is um it's way grosser than i thought it was like it is it is genuine there's some genuinely like weird and haunting imagery that's used in this section so lake like first of all yanks this old dude out of his pod and just like throws him off the onto the trains like figure it out man um yeah good luck to that fucking guy by the way that guy definitely got crushed by a car yeah or like eaten by fucking roach dogs or something like but and and so she rides this broken pod back to the tape car and we get to see how those tapes of their memories get made because if you'll remember in season one tulip has a tape that shows her like what is it that got you here what is it that the infinity train has decided you need to correct and okay so there are these porters which are big long-necked faceless robots they kind of look like a sauropod but not really they don't they I, I thought the the steward was kind of a freaky design for a kid's show. These these are even a little freakier, I think. They don't have, like, the mask thing going on, but that sort of points in its favor for being freaky. Yeah, yeah at least the mask is a human face. These things don't have a human face. They don't... They The way that they move and interact with what we'll talk about shortly is very eerie. So Lake kind of sees these big spools of tape 
curling up from this because the this huge catwalk so she rides it down and gets to this weird soft almost fleshy surface like it's this white soft ground that's very yielding it's it it put me in mind of like pure celluloid or something it's it's very weird um and you kind of see all of these passengers are buried in it and are getting their memories unspooled by little like lice things that look a little bit like one one and it's it's so much more visceral than i thought it would be yeah um because you never really get the indi- like other than the the weird cockroach bugs which almost seems separate from the train itself like body horror is not a thing that really entered into season one all that much however this season is all about existential dread and and the thought of you know the the question of existence so of course we got to get that shit in there we got to get that shit in there and also like you get you get some you get some like peeks at these people and the the things they do like one of the one of the girls like she's like you know about tulip's age probably and her thing is that she was an irresponsible pet owner. She bought a bearded dragon and wanted wanted to keep it after seeing it at a zoo. And of course, no one that young should be responsible for a specialty pet like that. Like that's not an animal someone that age should really be owning, and it it dies. And so that's why she's here. And I want to I want to talk a little bit about one one. Speaking of one one, because I think his characterization now is very interesting. It's so much different than it was in season one. In season one, one one was so much more of like this sort of lost little companion. And towards the end of the season, you got more insight into what his deal is and that he actually is the conductor and stuff like that. And he starts to take on slightly more sinister vibes or more like he knows so much more than he really lets on and now that he's in the conductor's chair uh he's just like he's very he's very sinister oh he's so sinister the sinister vibes are off the train and to be clear he acts the same his 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 shtick is the same he's the exact same character he hasn't like changed that much he's still got the dual the dual voice thing which is still very funny uh both voice actors put in a great performance there's one line that gloomy one one says towards the end that i literally just had to fucking lay down yeah you you were you were losing your mind they literally they literally couldn't breathe their face down in the couch i missed some dialogue is the the delivery of what does he said like that thirsty little piggy is coming back for more or something oh that thirsty little piglet just couldn't get enough now could he yeah from from owen dennis as the gloomy one is so funny but like all of that is the same and in fact you would think that you know the the clearer purpose of of the train that oh the the infinity train is much less sinister than it was now but i feel like it it's more so because this season puts a lot of focus on the fact that this is a machine the infinity train is a machine that judges people 
mathematically. And that is just something that's kind of inherently unsettling, right? Like it, it is an arbiter or believes is an arbiter of some kind. And one, one is the one in charge of that. And as a result, he is sort of the main antagonist almost. Yeah, and 1-1 being in charge of that isn't necessarily a good thing. Like, you might think at the end of Season 1, oh, well, you know, 1-1 is replacing uh, the the evil conductor, you know, it's, he's going to be so much better. But re- in reality, right, towards the end here, at the end, when Lake gets to the end of this whole thing and she starts trying to force the machine to give her a number and it won't do it and she starts breaking everything out of anger you know she starts taking a lead pipe to the porters you know one one shows up in like the steward like as a mech suit which is quite funny and she she like goes out of her way to try and convince one one that she she's a person she deserves to live she should get to leave she should get to have her own door and one one's like no you you've been doing a great job you, look at all these beautiful memories you had with uh with jesse look at look at how you helped him and like made his path no you belong here on the train this is your this is your spot you help people that's what your purpose is in this life and she fucking hates it because it's unbelievably cruel to do that to somebody to lock them in a little room and tell them okay well you're the emotional support dog that's your life that's what you do yeah and i the the key is that a lot of the other denizens of the train don't seem to have there's there's some kind of like barrier right of either they have accepted this function or they can't quite conceptualize of it yet like they aren't quite there but Lake is different. Lake is the reflection of a passenger, which carries a lot of baggage with it. And as a result, you you see the truth. You see she sees the machine for what it is and is horrified by it. Yeah, it's she gazed into the abyss and she said, "Fuck this, I'm out." And she isn't let out. Uh, it's worth noting, by the way, that Jesse in the end here. He comes back to the train. He, after he got home, he said, no, I have to go back. I have to save her. And he ends up back on the train, but in a paradox, uh, like a paradoxical fashion, because his problem was solved. And his new problem, the problem that is eating him away, is that he needs to take his friend with him back to reality the train cannot solve this problem. It's an unsolvable problem. It breaks one one. It puts him in a loop, and it putting him in a loop allows for the other Fleck to show up. And when he does, he turns to one one and says, "Hey, listen. I know how to solve your problem. If you let me kill this girl right now, the problem ceases to exist." And one one starts to agree with him. Yeah. The only thing that stops him is that well. Jesse wouldn't like that probably, and so that that restarts the paradox again. But one one. Well, that doesn't start the paradox. The the paradox is restarted because Lake and Jesse trick him into thinking about it again. Yes. he was gonna say yes. Yeah, like one one ultimately is not like the 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 good kind king. Um, in fact, if you compare him to Amelia, who obviously like her thing is that she is so 
racked and consumed with guilt that she cannot conceptualize ever leaving and ever bettering herself and so she she sort of forced others into that right she was like well no no one's escaping if i like no one can better themselves to the degree that the train wants and so she she sort of sculpted the system into into that feedback loop um one one isn't really i mean he he is a cog in the machine he is a part of the train he's he likes tulip he likes jesse he likes lake but he's he's the train he can't just stop he can't just stop being the system that he is and so he is rendered useless by this paradox which almost allows uh sieve to fucking murder Lake, which, by the way, Sieve, I want to talk about Sieve a little bit, because he's also a very interesting character. Um, he's played by another another fairly big name actor, Bradley Whitford, fairly fairly well known character actor. He was on The West Wing for a long time, but a lot of our audience would probably know him more from his role as the dad in Get Out. And he does he does a fantastic performance here, particularly after. Mace dies and he becomes completely unhinged. I think my favorite scene with him is because, like I said, they are set up to be the classic good cop, bad cop, right? You have Mace, who's very growly. He's got a he's got a scary hat. He's the one with all the big fucking like scrubbers, and he gets the big battering ram later, which is called the Lawbreaker, which is very funny. But Steve, you know, he's the nice one. He talks to you, except there's a scene that shows, like, no, Steve is the good cop because he's the one who who fucking manipulates your emotions and just and just fucking speaks honeyed words into your ear to make you cooperate with him. Um, because the the bit where Tulip is revealed to be a criminal uh, to to Jesse and he, he begins to kind of question things. Uh, he, he, Steve is right there to be like, Hey, you don't really know anything about this girl. Like she could have done some fucked up shit. We're worried about you. Are you okay? Are you safe? She's, you're the hostage right now. Yeah. Like he is so, he, he is more sinister than Mace in most ways. Cause you know what you're getting with that guy. He's a huge fucking dick. He's a cop. This guy puts forward the like caring, you know, empathetic, fucking mask but actually he's just as much of a heartless freak as mace is but yeah this so this whole thing with the end there is like the the like the existential agony that lake is in at the end of uh end of episode nine is honestly kind of hard to watch it's 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 genuinely very hard to watch as she finally gets to the end where she gets this chance to maybe finally get to leave and have a life, and she's just denied that. Yeah, because specifically, she gets to this number printing machine. We see where the numbers are put, and I want to. I want to shout out a very funny one where we see some guy getting scanned by the train, and he gets his number, and he's like some business dude. You see him like neglecting his family for business or whatever, but there's definitely way more than that because the number he gets is like five thousand one hundred and sixty-five. Yeah, this dude's gonna be here for a fucking minute. You definitely like funded a death squad somewhere bro something else happened yeah you 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 contributed to the wrong political action committee yeah you donated to something that somewhere down the line launched a coup like you did some shit yeah but yeah other than so that guy's funny i just wanted to note that because i thought that was a really funny like spot gag of oh god that's a high number um but 
when Lake decides, oh, I know what I can do. I can just stick my hand in front of the, the laser that prints the number and I can get my number. Like this kid who killed her fucking lizard, she doesn't need to be here, which I thought was a very interesting like value judgment, right? On Lake's part of, you know, why why does this kid need to be in the train? Uh, and, and similar, like it's a similar thing in scale to Jesse, right? Where Jesse just kind of fucked up and hurt someone that he cared about and it's not good and he does need to change and grow as a person but that's just the thing when you have this construct of purely mathematical judgment is that everyone's kind of equal in its eyes like yeah your number is lower you have to d- like do less but you still get onto the fucking hell train yeah it's it's very interesting in this way because it's it's basically pulling anyone who makes any significant mistake even if it's a small significance it's still it's it's enough to put you on the train like a kid accidentally kills their pet that's that's enough to put them on there like like lake has a moment where she's like what do i need to have a a fucking sad lizard story is that enough to make me a person is like what do you want from me what do i need to be what do i need to say what do i need to do for you to consider me as much of a person as this rando who killed their fucking lizard and yeah the thing that happens is that the laser just passes right through her hand it doesn't even touch it um and this is what causes her to start smashing these porters because it's like the train simply doesn't conceive of her as a person that is literally true the train does not recognize her autonomy enough to be like oh you have a number now you 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 need a number you need to be a passenger and this leads us into kind of the finale here because yeah i oh another thing i really liked another cool touch when jesse gets his new number because one one is completely fucking paradoxed out it's like fractions and imaginary numbers and like goofy emoticons all flipping through rapidly because the train just doesn't know what to do yeah the train the train starts like malfunctioning majorly the ceilings collapsing in on itself like there's problems and the, the train simply isn't equipped to deal with something that it cannot solve with its math problem it, it is an algorithm designed to reach a very specific result and if it can't get there it kind of falls apart and you know you start seeing that here in the end the only thing that saves lake and the train itself ultimately is lying she holds her hand up to jesse's and says hey we both have numbers and one one just kind of buys it yeah this is the solution the solution is not that you prove to the train that you're real the solution isn't that you have a big moment the solution is that you bypass the system, you trick it, you lie to it to escape. That's honestly pretty subversive for a kid's show like this. And obviously Infinity Train skews a little older than a lot of us. Like, I say it's a kid's show, it's like, you know, it's the same as Shearer. It's like, yeah, like 10 to 50, like tweens. Like it's like, it's that age bracket, that, that sort of demographic. Even still lie to fuck the cops lie to the system live free that's what season two is about it is it is and i think it's a fucking it's a brilliant message it's it's the kind of shit that i think about a lot there's you know you can you can shout and shout and shout until you're red in the face until your voice goes away completely trying to convince 
this system, that you're a human, that you're a person, that you deserve to exist, that you deserve to have a life. And they'll sit there and they'll tell you they want you to die, or they'll tell you you're exactly where you need to be, or they'll tell you that they simply can't do it. It just doesn't make any sense. It's mathematically impossible. No, what you do you don't shout. You don't try and convince anyone of anything. You use the tools the system has provided for you, and you use those tools to break a hole in a window and climb out of it. You you leave. You go out. You get out. Because that's the only real option. And I love... I So, like, I love that Lake just gets to live in the world now. There's just a fucking metal person out in the world now fuck it yeah there's there's a fully metal person back on earth honestly i feel like and this this is this is my little theory here leading into in, into season three and season four or whatever i think that this is a situation of like far in the future the earth is completely fucked it's just absolutely completely fucked everybody's dead everybody's dead so they're all that's left is this train that's trying to do something to like save everybody in some way like like pulling people from the past through like wormholes and like trying to like fix humanity so that maybe they don't destroy the whole planet um that's that's my assumption and she's been put into the past i mean well i don't know if that's true or not i don't know anything i know some things but i don't know anything about that um even if none of that's true even disregarding all of the all of the speculation about the plot just like she gets to be on earth with this boy she likes and just li- live as she wants to however she wants to with without any fear of oh yeah the other thing a big thing big 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 thing at the end of this at the very like very very last shot of this season right this entire time this entire season Lake has been recoiling from her reflection due to the fact that you know the the fucking flex can come out of it um, any reflection, she immediately like spray paints over it with black paint or breaks whatever it is. Uh, guess what? At the end, she sees her reflection in the lake and she smiles. <sighs> Do you get it? Do you that the imagery is so fucking good? Like she, the imagery is so it's so on the nose. It's straight, just like. As 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 a trans person, you fucking you're scared of your reflection in the mirror, not just because it's not reflective of yourself, but because you're scared of what that means in a societal context. The 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 the, the people who will who will come after you for how you look and just like and being able to be free and escape that, and then you you can actually look at your reflection and and smile at it. That's like. Again, the imagery is like ruinously effective. It's 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 extremely extremely powerful. Owen Dennis and Justin Michael and Lindsay Katai and Alex Horeb, who are the showrunners and writers respectively, uh, are just corning you and Allen just beating you over the head with this like, look at it, look at it, look at it. Do you see it? Um, that that is the space these shows can operate. They can they can be unsubtle. They can yell it from the rooftops, and it's I I like that. I think it's good. That like this is a this is a thing a kid can watch and look at and like internalize and consider these things. Yeah, and I and it's important too, and not just from the perspective of being important for trans children, though. Of course, that's 
critically important. Um, it's also just just presenting kids, and and I've I've said this before, and of course it was a while ago because it was during the podcast of power, but I I really think it is so important to challenge an audience of young people. I think it's extremely important to challenge them, to give them something to chew on, something to like actually make them ask questions to themselves and the people around them, something that makes them think about their place in the world and how the world runs. And Infinity Train does it maybe better than any other show that I've ever seen. I still think that just on a, like, on its own style basis, I still, of course, think, you know, She-Ra is my favorite, like, animated show of all time, but I think in terms of, like, how effective something is at challenging its audience, how effective it is at trying to make some teens watching this actually think about how their life is going, how the world around them runs, you know, their own emotions and how they're dealing with them. I think this is perhaps the most effective that it's ever been. Yeah. Um and it also happens to feature a uh shape-shifting deer that can turn its legs into rocket boosters and fly off into the sky completely stiff-legged. Yes. Uh to which one one uh takes one look and says I really, you know, I, that was my best work. I really, I really outdid myself with you. I must agree. I must agree. One, one, uh, one last thing I wanted to say. One last very funny thing that ties into this theme. There's, there's a toad. There is, there is a toad. He talks like Elvis. He's voiced by Owen Dennison. He's in the toad car. And the way you get out of the toad car is that you kick the toad. And the toad knows this. The Toad's entire existence, the Toad's whole entire life is to be kicked. He has accepted this fate. He does not like it, but he accepts it. They take the Toad out of the car to trap the Flex in there. They run into the Toad later in the Lucky Cat car, and he's got a new cape. He, he gave himself a name. But he's still getting kicked, except this time it's of his own volition and he's getting paid for it. But he's still doing the same thing. And it's like, there's something there. There's like, it ties into that. It's the, This character's the goofiest shit in the world. It is literally a toad that talks like Elvis for no fucking reason that exists to be kicked for the benefit of others. And yet, he, he continues to let himself be kicked. He doesn't need to be kicked anymore. He is he is free to do whatever he wants, but he just chooses the same path he always has because it's the only thing he's ever known. And I don't know, it's it all ties together sort of in a very weird and interesting way. And that's what I come to Infinity Train for is to see like this toad that talks like Elvis is very thematically important and you can tie it into a lot of stuff. It is. It's very true. And while we're talking about the toad car, I, I do actually want to just, just backtrack a little bit and talk about the toad sure, car. Sure, let's talk about the toad car. Because the toad car, I think actually the toad car might be my favorite episode of the season. Really? I, I think it might be my favorite. And I, I really like quite a lot of the episodes at the back half a lot. Uh, you know, I think the last episode is amazing. Um, 
but I think I think the Toad car might be my favorite. And the reason is this. It is so first off, it's a bottle episode, which, you know, you know how we feel about those. You know, if you've been around for a while, you know how we feel about those. But the thing about the Toad car is that it, it presents this like such a real situation. This is the realest this season gets, in my opinion. Lake has made a friend, sort of, but they're on fairly shaky ground, and he doesn't really know that much about Lake, and Lake is not willing to give him any information. She's not willing to give him very much at all, not willing to let him in or anything like that, and he finds out via both the uh, wanted poster falling out of her pocket and, you know, Steve trying to sweet-talk him through the door with his good cop routine, he finds out that she is a criminal and she doesn't owe him an explanation. She doesn't owe him anything. She doesn't. She shouldn't have to justify herself or explain herself to this guy who she just met. And and he's getting increasingly more more afraid of her because... Uh, he knows he knows through just societal conditioning well if this girl was a criminal that's bad clearly there's a reason why the cops want to take her in she must be dangerous she must be doing something really horrible and wrong and lake doesn't give him anything she doesn't beg on her hands and knees not to be given over to the cops. She refuses to engage with him. She feels betrayed and hurt, and she doesn't want to interact with him. She steals his phone and breaks it on the ground and spray paints it because she doesn't believe for one second that he wouldn't just hand her over. You know, she says, anybody who's willing to treat their brother like that just because other people were letting that happen is not the kind of person that she can trust to not hand her over to the cops. And frankly, I agree with her. Like, that kind of behavior, you know, you you can't trust somebody like that in, in that sort of situation. And instead of continuing to be mad and continuing to be upset and, like, questioning her further, he takes what she says at face value. He says, you know, I kind of get what you mean. Like, I I fucked up really bad, and I understand why you don't trust me, because it was not a good thing for me to do, and that didn't make me a good person. And I don't know, I think that that's, it's such a good interaction from both ends, because it's like, it doesn't at any point, like, like Lake opens up to him eventually here, only after he acknowledges her concerns and acknowledges that he's in the wrong. But the, the, the show is never in a position where it, like, judges her for her decision to not let him in. You know, just, she doesn't owe him anything. And, like, the only reason he gets more information is because he made that first step. He took that step first and tried to bridge the gap and give her a reason to trust him. And I don't know. I think that's very effective. Yeah, you're right. It is, it is quite good. Uh, also, 
Alan Dracula turns into a pile of pillows, like a deer made of pillows, and that's where I, I would like to lay on him, I think. Yeah, he seems very comfy. Relatedly, I want to talk a little bit more but loop it back to apex one last time yeah yeah for sure because that also kind of relates to this this arc that jesse has where it's kind of the opposite it is the lucky cat car is manufactured to fuck you over right like it's it's a cheating carnival it's your it's your classic cheating carnival and so when grace busts the door open and lets all the other apex kids through to, to start smashing shit and stealing shit uh, Jesse's like these guys are kind of cool. Like, yeah, they're 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 kind of a menace, but like, fuck this car. It was screwing us over. It was cheating you, and so he goes along. And like, you know, these these guys are cool. Grace is is complimenting him all the time and saying how cool he is. And we know he is so vulnerable to that kind of thing of just like, wow, these cool older kids think I'm cool. That ah man, I gotta do everything. I I gotta hang out with them because I feel good about that. And they do take him on this raid to this other car, like a new car they haven't seen before. It's like a, you know, it's like a, it's just a car filled with cubes and there's a jelly guy in it. It's like I'm sure there's like a cool thing that someone could learn in this, right? Like if if you were going into this car as a passenger who was playing by the train's rules, you would come out of this with some kind of profound happening apex is an inch, uh, uninterested in any of that uh all they care about is what can they take and what can the thing do for them and all it's got is a bunch of cubes so they just start smashing shit and clearly this is upsetting this jelly being it, it doesn't like to see all these gold cubes getting smashed but they don't care it's a null like it, it's not real it's not a real person it's just it's just an extension of the train uh, and, if, you know, Jesse also breaks one, but he sees his number go up and he's like, this is, I don't like this. This is wrong. This feels wrong. And when he sees the way that Simon is treating Lake and Alan Dracula back at base, back in the mall, he's like, you know what? No, fuck you guys. You are all like, I, I've fallen into this trap before. I'm not going to go along with people who treat other people like this. Like, I don't fucking care. Lake is my friend. This fucked up nightmare deer is also my best friend, and we're leaving. Yeah, I, I feel like that confrontation is really powerful as well. Just like that that moment where he's just like, no, not only am I not going along with this, but I'm never going to go along with this with anyone like you again. Like, this is this is wrong, and this is horrible, and you should be fucking ashamed of yourselves. And yeah, like... The fact that the show just spells it out that blatantly, puts it puts its foot down that hard, is really, really important. Like I can't, I can't stress enough how fucking important it is that a show in which the 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 primary thing in this in this episode is these people treating treating other people as if they're less than nothing that they are tools to be used and discarded and if they're not useful then fucking get rid of them throw them under the wheels of the bus and let them die you gotta put your foot down and you gotta tell them to fucking go they'll take a long walk off a short cliff you know and i i think again like the show is very good at knowing what to say when to say it and with what intensity to say it in it's important that lines like that are delivered from the bottom of your fucking chest you know look infinity train 
wants you to kill the cop inside your head and and maybe the one uh on the street as well maybe may, maybe that one as well if you would just like to sort of shove him into a, a gigantic uh spinning train wheel uh in minecraft um <laughs> but yeah like i mean it's such a fascinating season of television i really do look forward to seeing where else infinity train goes because i know like People love, also love the other two seasons of this. And it seems like the other two seasons also explore a lot of, like, fairly, you know, it, it's it's stuff it's, it's stuff you can chew on. It's stuff like this, where I think, for our format, Infinity Train Book 1 probably would have gone better in a format like this instead of a, a monthly Patreon podcast, right? Because one, these are short episodes, this is a short show. Um, and two, you can't really see all of the moving parts until you get to the end almost. We're like, we could have gotten to the end of Infinity Train Book 1 and we would have had something to say about Amelia and, and Tulip and all of this. But like, watching it here, and I mean, it being so fresh off of it certainly helps. But even without that, Infinity Train Book 2 is just like, I, I am genuinely just so very impressed in pretty much every way i think the characters are great i think there's so much fun animation there's so many fun guest performances that are really just if you are a famous actor if you are like a real actor even like a character actor and and you get cast oh that's the thing that's the difference right here's the here's the difference here here i'm I'm gonna get on my voice acting soapbox for a minute here because there's Stunt casting and voice acting almost unilaterally sucks fucking dick. It's terrible. Look at Chris Pratt as Mario. I mean, the man can barely act to begin with, <laughs> but he certainly cannot voice act. He's going to be the worst part of that movie. You can you can compare and contrast that with the guy who's playing Bowser, Jack Black. Jack Black, similarly very famous guy, maybe even more famous in some circles than Chris Pratt. Jack Black is a comedian and a character actor. So those kinds of actors often do very, very well in voice acting because they're much more robust. They aren't relying on their looks or their physicality to sell things. They can get into that booth and deliver lines. And I don't know, you know, most shows these days are not necessarily recorded together, right? Like, especially now, there's a lot of remote recording, but I think... Often you can tell when a show is has all the actors in a booth, right? And I don't think this one does. But I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if I learned that it did. Because there are some of these performances and some of these conversations that do feel pretty natural and pretty well, like, bouncing off of one another. Especially the scene between Lake and Mace in the Wasteland. That whole conversation. Like, I could see Ashley Johnson and... Um, Ben Mendelsohn being in the booth together for that, right? Like, it's just very good. And I think it's so easy for a show like this to to stunt cast someone, a famous person, and they, they, they phone it in. But every time Kate Mulgrew shows up as the cat, she does a great fucking job. I love the bit where she, like, flirts with Jesse. That's so funny. What is going on with this fucking cat? <laughs> it's so good. But yeah, like, like seriously, like the the importance of utilizing actors that are right for the job is very important. Like getting people who are comfortable 
in the booth, people who can play off of each other, people who can play off of themselves, people who can fit a niche and really fill every single crack in it and and bring a performance to bear that that really elevates the material. Like, would any of this material be nearly as effective as it is were the voice cast not as talented? That's, I think, a question worth asking, and I don't know that it would be. I think the delivery really is everything on writing like this. And so I think that's about all we have to say about Infinity Train Book 2, which does have a, a subtitle. All of these books have subtitles. This is Book 2, Cracked Reflection. A very a very uh, on-the-nose one. Book 2, Cracked Egg. Yeah, Cracked Egg. There we go. That's, that's, we're, that's what we're titling this fucking episode, let me tell you. So I would, I would say, hey, go watch it on HBO Max. You can't because there's a fucking idiot in charge of it who likes to throw things into the trash to save like two cents um just a reminder just a reminder everyone batgirl was like complete it was done it was finished they finished the film and it got deleted from the servers but you know what's gonna be releasing you know what you know what's what we gotta get out there what's that we gotta get that flash movie out there because god knows we can't get enough ezra miller of course uh but you know remember this remember this dear listeners the and and i am i'm simply going to paraphrase the uh creators of the show uh, they did say in uh, multiple posts, and I think an interview, uh, that they are perfectly fine with people pirating this show. Now, I'm not saying that you should do that personally. I would never advocate for that in a way that le- left me legally viable. Um, but you know, just as food for thought on that one. Yeah, we didn't. We weren't saying anything like that. But we are saying that Owen Dennis is saying that you can do that. And I mean, that's we aren't lying. We were just saying what he said. Yeah, we're just we're listen. Owen Dennis would love it if you pirated his show, and that's all I have to say about that. Value neutral, just a factual statement. Um, but yeah, that's Infinity Train Book Two. What a fucking show! Just round of applause. What what a great we love Alan we're we're we're, I am a Alan Dracula stan absolutely I top tier freak creature I love him beautiful beautiful freak I I hope that he's happy out there in space I totally forgot I I lied we're not done yet I want to talk about one more scene one more really really good scene it's it's in episode nine there's a bit after she fucking liquefies mace on the wheels of the train Lake is sitting with with Alan Dracula and kind of thinking about things. It's like, she wants to leave. She wants to leave the train and live her own life. Alan Dracula doesn't want to leave. He can't. You can't put that out there in the world. His place is here. He is happiest in this train where he can just wander around and just fucking get into all sorts of hijink. And eat all the grass he wants. And... There's this bit where Lake grapples at like she realizes you can't come with me and I'm not going to make you come with me because I she values his existence not as like a pet. Alan, this fucked up deer is her friend and she's not going to force it. She's not going to enforce her will on another living being. 
And I just, it's just a very nice scene. Cause you know, the Alan Dracula just, she's like justifying it to herself. And then the deer just lays his head in her lap. It's, it's just a good fucking show. It's such a good show. It's like, it, it has such a good balance. I feel between just like, you know, levity and like cute moments and just like these real, like, gut-wrenching bits and it's it's just it's a very well-balanced show it's it's a real complete breakfast style situation and i am personally quite excited to crack into book three but uh of course that part isn't up to us let's 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 perhaps talk a little bit about why it isn't so this show we're not just going to go through things in order because that would be too fucking easy (laughs) and we are not we're not we're not down with that shit no so the way this works if you are a patron of our fine program the sunday after every talk cycle goes up we will be putting up a poll um what do you think five choices four choices i think five choices is a good one so five choices one of these choices will always be the next season of the last show we covered if possible there are some shows that do not have a second season um on this list we have such as symbiotic titan and motor city just to tantalize you with a couple of names um those other four will be something new um we don't know what we're gonna put on there yet but there will be four other things and you if you are a one dollar patron or above you get to decide where this show goes next we can stay on the infinity train if you want but like we could watch something else we could just go in an entirely different direction if 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 that is what you decide because that's you are you are you are piloting this runaway train exactly exactly and if you want to participate in those polls you can head on over to of course patreon.com slash crystal radio works for all of that and uh of course beyond just you know getting to vote in the polls you also get a plethora of other material you get access to a lot of archival stuff uh, you know, $3 and up, you get a lot of other various things related to our Final Fantasy podcast, Radio Free Heidel, and perhaps check that one out. That's the, the next episode. That'll be next weekend, in fact. That's right. And, you know, at the uh, at the $8 tier, you get more stuff relating to Radio Free Heidel, and you get to, you get to participate in some and some Final Fantasy content if, you, if you, that tickles your fancy. And if not, hey, listen. Just one dollar, and you can you can decide our fate. You can be the arbiter of destiny for this podcast. It's true, and oh, wouldn't that be fun? And one more thing that you get as a patron at the three dollar or higher level is you get a shout out in every episode. And today's shout out start with Dan Big Challenges Silva, Becky Scott Fairley, Verdigree, Rocky Dot, Mia Berg, Tobu, Amidas Girgis, Sid Vesper, Enrique. Robledo Arnucio, uh, Tricia Montez, Imogen Q, Casey Cosmos, Sir Sheepslot, Ibo Regard, Kaylee Luisa, Garrett Johnson, Emmeline, Autumn Keys, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Mabel Mabel, Jennifer Jones, Jack O'Neuro, Michael Steinert, and TCO. Thank you very much. But, uh, but that is going to do it for us this week here on our inaugural Talk Cycles episode. Uh, you'll catch the next one uh, in a month's time. Second week of every month is going to be a Talk Cycles episode. But for now, 
I've been one of your hosts, Jane. I've been your other host, Nero. And we didn't think of an outro for these yet. So see you next time.